Yes, what is going on everybody? Welcome back to another Rugby Muscle Podcast. I'm your host as always, TJ, and that smiling face with a huge beard that you can see across the other side of the screen is probably familiar to a lot of you, hopefully at this point, right? Alex, what's going on? Not much, man. Same old. Same, old. Just same stuff, different countries. Trying to get, yeah, for both of us. Just trying to get stronger, right? Yeah, man. Just the exact same stuff. So we were talking the other day about, actually we were talking about my own lifting and how I was, my goal for some of this was to be in like the top 20%. And that sparked a whole conversation that we'll get into with this podcast about not even a top 20%, but probably the top like 1% or 0.1% and how these people operate. Before I do that, if you're watching this on the YouTube channel, give it a thumbs up. Make any comment in the comments below. Always helps out the algorithm. Do that right now. I'll give you a second to do that, and then we can get into this episode. If you're listening on wherever you get your podcasts, go. if it's on Spotify, I think you can give five-star reviews now. If it's anywhere else that you get podcasts, please give us a five-star review and a potential just type up whatever you want on the Apple podcast because that's the best way to promote the show and get it to more rugby players and more people that need it, which will help us, you know, grow and expand what we do here at Rugby Muscle. But best way to spread it is just to share it with a mate, I reckon. Anyway, Alex, let's get into it. So do you think, right, let's, before we like talk about what the top like 1% do, do you think most people are aware of how elite, the top 1% or even 0.1, let's go 0.1%, shall we? The top 0.1% of athletes. You think people are aware of how different they are? I mean, let, let's, let's look at it as a, it's not 0.1%, let's go elite. Okay, it's, it's less than 0.1%. People, you know, seven yeah, it's much, much less. It's like 0.000001. Right, so we just say elite is much easier. And it depends on the sport. Yeah, what, no. was, um, what was Rich Piana's percentage? Is he 5%? Was it 5%? That's like, that's a lot of people. Less than 5% people yeah, actually even go to the gym. Yeah. So that's like hundreds of thousands of people. Where we're really concerned about the top 100. Yeah. I mean, I don't even care about that. Top 10. Yeah, 100%. Right? So it's it's like mind-boggling small number of people, but it's the people you see all the time. So like the big the big names on Instagram, for example, or like the the top like super super rugby players or the premiership players, but as a percentage of everyone playing rugby, that's tiny. And the standout players within that, it's even less. Yeah. And uh, no, like we see it like do you remember seeing a Bowden Barrett try? He was playing for the Blues, and it was like a no look switch to. I think I do, and he like launched it like twenty. He launched it like twenty meters, and it was like on the button. And no one does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and no one does that because he's a freak, you know. Yeah, and it's just kind of that idea. Like we just don't know how good people are because we we don't spend time like around them. We're not exposed to it. Yeah. And I think to even 
like we'll go into lessons that we can get from that in a minute but to put like my favorite one i think it's like wimbledon time right now in the uk like people are watching to, but the reason i bring that up is because for years and forever basically the only context you have of tennis is wimbledon right a lot of people in england will relate to that or, or if you're in the us it's probably the us open hold on wait one second much better so for years it, the 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 only context you have is two weeks of the year where you're watching the top 0.0001% of people do their thing right and you're watching it on tv so it's not even like yeah, you know, they say the TV adds 10 pounds or whatever, but like overall, it's a different experience to watching it in person. You, are, you, have, you have no idea how hard these people are hitting this ball. Point being is that you, that's the only time you watch it. Then when you go to play that sport, like for a lot of people, you, you, probably, play, you probably go and play it having watched it for 15 years or however many years and you go, oh, okay, I can do this. And I remember for me when I was at, uh, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure it was when I was at uni, I was like, I played a few times when my brother's just mucking around. And then for, for one like summer, me and uh, one housemate took it seriously. And we went and played every week. And I used to hit the fucking uh, worst ever shots. Like he would set it up like for the easiest shot in the world for me. And so I think, okay, I know exactly what I'm going to do because I've seen the pros do it. And I try and top spin it right in the corner. Half the time it went over the fence, right? A lot, a lot of the other times it got caught in the fence. Basically, as a percentage, it never it never really worked. Point being from that is that that's because the only context I've known is the top percent. I should not be following that. I should be doing, and this is what I did. After about a month, I was like, fuck, like all of my points that I lose is because unforced errors. So all I should do instead is just keep getting the ball in. And eventually he's gonna do the unforced error. If I stop trying to be fucking Roger Federer or whoever, and just try and hit the ball in the court, doesn't matter where, eventually he's going to mess up. So that was my new tactic. And guess what? I started winning. <laughs> like It was ridiculous how that works. You're muted, by the way. You've, had, you've somehow muted yourself. Um, so like, whilst you figure out how to unmute yourself, the point here is that like, what you relate to TV and what you relate on Instagram uh, or whatever you're seeing, when you're seeing the top percentile, that's not how you should be operating or how you should expect to operate, right? By definition, most people are not in that top 0.001%. And that's fine because you've still got plenty of room to get better, but it's just that you should be aware of the fact that these people are freaks. Yeah, can you hear me now? Mm-hmm. Okay, so where I wanted to go from that is lessons that potentially we can learn and then other lessons that we should not learn from these like absolute freaks. The quote that sticks out to me is from Tom Farrow, former England Sevens, actually might still be strength and condition there with England Sevens. And he did a quote for a seminar that I've watched that he said, the best players are the best players because they are the best players. Genius. Right. But it's, it's so true. Like we try and like basically see what they're doing and copy them and think that that's going to make us the best players, but it's not like the best players just do what they do. And a lot of the time they're the best in spite of what they're doing. Like Daniel Cormier heavy was the world heavyweight MMA champion. He was doing wall drills for sprints, like the week leading up or two weeks out from his fight. 
Like, that's fucking stupid, okay? That's really dumb. And it's got nothing to do with why he was... But he was still the best, like, even though, like, that's what he did. It's hard to post a turd, right? <laughs> the fact is, most of us who did shit, like... You know, that's how it is. No, that's... It's like, you can only polish it up so much. Kind of. But the point is that, like, that's not where we need to compare ourselves. We need to get these big rocks in place. So I think rather than, no, no, we're not, yeah, you throw me off there with that polished turd example. Because it's the opposite of what the point I was trying to make is that, like, you can't unpolish something that's already really beautiful and shiny, right? For lack of a much better phrase. A diamond in the rough? But, I, I, yeah, I guess so. I guess that's still going to be, no matter how much you polish the turd, the diamond in the rough is still going to be significantly more valuable than, yeah. than, than the turd, right? And that just is what it is. And some of these best players are the best. Now, th I think what happens is because, like, what, 100, 100 years ago, we would, we would only have read about these people on, in a newspaper like two weeks after the fact, I would have heard heard about them on the radio, but you would never, you'd never actually been able to contextualize it in your head. Now, when you can, and this is the first the first point I kind of want to make on this is that you get the top you know, 0.001%, like the real cream of the crop. I know we didn't want to say the percentages, so you get the elite, and they're on Instagram, and we're exposed to them every day. That we shouldn't be right because then that like make then we're trying to compare that to whatever we see day to day. And immediately, this is where the sort of natty or not brigade comes up, right? Everyone thinks everyone's on steroids. Every athlete ever is on steroids. Like, I get why people are making this argument, but I think these a lot of these people just don't know how freakish genetics are. Like, there's people in this world that are, what, eight foot tall? Yeah. Like, they exist. Which is fucking insane. They're right. Yeah. And there are also people that are two foot yeah. tall. Also fucking insane, but they also exist. So how you can tell me that someone can't be, you know, 230 pounds or 110 kilos with a really low body fat percentage, like without using steroids is ridiculous. That's a stupid argument. And you should open your mind up when you hit, when you think that, if you're thinking that. Yeah, there's not a lot of basis for it. Like you can't just say shit. Like it, that's not how science works. But right? I think... There's also like a way that that sort of validates people to then like carry on doing whatever they're doing and, and think that th you know and and listen to people like you negatively telling them that they can't polish a turd and they should just be like oh well everyone else is on steroids. No, no, I didn't say you can't polish a turd. I said you only polish a turd so much. <laughs> okay, all right, fair yeah, enough. So you can't. Do yeah, so if we look at what elite athletes do, there are some things that we can take away, but there are also, I mean, there are things that we've already alluded to that you can just throw out and say, okay, I don't need to do that. So can you give an example of something that maybe, something that elite athletes do that we can use, that we can take away and say, okay, us as not so elite can still take away and, and try and move forward? Yeah, for sure. Skill work and just being really fucking good at the basic skill. And like for a lot of the elite guys, this comes really naturally. Or the work ethic to just to work on the skill over and over again comes really naturally. Whereas for someone like me or like you, we're like, dude, I just want to do shit and I want to have fun. Right? Yeah. And even, yeah, yeah. even though we are like genetic, like 
be gifted, we're not elite. Right. And we want changes. Where someone like, do you, do you follow Sullivan on Instagram? Who? He's like a multiple world, Joe Sullivan. No. He's a multiple world record holder. And he, he is like, does skill work every single session. He just fucking drills it the entire time. And the reason he squats like 900 pounds at 200 pounds, right? You know? Yeah. It's steroids, but also he's really good at skill. Uh, yeah, like there, there are also so many people that take steroids that don't have that anywhere near that amount of strength, right? So it goes both ways. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's skill work. The self, yeah, it's, it's coincidental. The, the this attention to detailing and the skill really good. You're yeah, sevens, right? Well, you talk about your sevens players and the best players, the best players, their skills are just across the board. Yeah, there's no one that can't like even Carlin Isles, who's like passing and hands like traditionally you would say, oh, that's you know that's his weakest part, but purely because he's so rapid, right? But for the most part, like he still on a regular basis works and drills his his hands and, and just his basic pass. And you think, and I've mentioned this on this podcast and in this YouTube channel so many times at this point, but it still bears repeated is it like if you're only do it if you're only passing in your tuesday thursday practice under pressure and you're never actually just practicing the skill of passing you're not going to get any better at passing and if you're not getting any better at passing you're you're limiting yourself and how much you can improve as a player we can also talk about rucking we can talk about tackling we can talk about all the skills that are involved in rugby for the most part because we've got such a limited time in order to train these skills we only do them like under pressure, preparing us for a game or in a game. That's not giving us room to improve, right? Even fucking, I was going to say Kurt Cobain, but I could give like a, an example, not from like 30 years ago, probably, but like guitarists, like elite musicians, right? They will do, and, and like to the point where like their brain gets fried from, from trying to practice a musical, like if anyone knows how to practice, practicing a musical instrument, practicing a language, like just doing basic, 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 it's repetitive and it's really boring, but you're, you're laying down pathways to dramatically increase your efficiency and your competency at doing those things. Passing is absolutely one of them. As you said, even like something as simple as squatting, right? For someone that squats all the time and is so strong that he squats, was it 900 pounds at 200 pounds? Yeah, ridiculous. Right? That's ridiculous. Yeah, but he also enough, yeah. but he also practices squatting, which you think like, you know, how many people that are decent at squatting or even crap at squatting don't even think about like practicing the skill of squatting. So yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, you're talking about musicians. There's a you're talking about musicians, there's a YouTube channel called Two Set Violin. Okay, and they're basically a classical music channel, and they say you should practice forty hours a day if you want to be good. It's kind of idea, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it take, and that's the other thing. It's it's skill work. It's not like I see people practice. I'll take a lot of people if I do skill work with them, and we'll practice that skill for fifteen minutes, and there's already a dramatic improvement in those fifteen minutes. And like you think, well. That's just 15 minutes. Imagine imagine if you did that 15 minutes twice, like two times a week. So then like, you know, you did 30 minutes, two times a week and you did that for 10 weeks. 
like you would lay down not just some foundation to like make a big improvement that then would just regress you would lay enough of a foundation that you would probably improve at that skill for life right on two i mean it doesn't even have to be 30 minutes two 15 minute sessions a week for 10 weeks and then you could pick another skill and if you systematically did that you would level up all your skills or just to continue if you want to be in that top 0.001% you'd work at only those skills and and that's it scrum halves are a, a fantastic example i know like aaron smith will still go and just drill kneeling passing like probably four days a week yeah. like for months at a time you know and he's been renowned as the best scrum half in the world for quite a while now you know i'm sure south african fans are going to come I mean, at me still in the back talking side, faff but he was taking the all-black side this week, right? Yeah. Like he's still there. Like he's still like first twist scrum off. Yeah. They so they yeah, definitely. Like Ten years. Yeah, the elite guys just do the boring stuff over and over and over and over again because number one, like that's what they're paid to do, probably if they're elite. Number two, because they've already got good foundation in other areas, which is something that I was I was going to get into, and I'll get into in a second, but. Like that affords them the time to work on that skill work a lot, you know. Anything else you want to add to that skill so work I guess component? It comes down to like more like elite mindset, just a mindset point. Just like it comes down to like elite mindset more than like a physical gift. Yeah, they're just happy to do that stuff when they're robots. Just them. because they, they know the reward that's going to happen. Yeah, I think it's fostered from positive experience, right? absolutely yeah cool the the negative or side of this or the the sort of one thing that you can't take away from these people though is that they repeatedly work on like all the basic skills but they've also got a lot of these elite people will have like one genetic differentiator that allows them to already have started this either this skill or like for rugby the sport in general at a higher level Kyle Niles, obviously, we'll go back to him as the perfect example. Dude's a freak when it comes to speed, right? He also works a lot just on his speed, but that's his one differentiator. You could also look at Lewis Ree Samet and say speed again for him, but you could also look at like Freddie Stewart, like he's six foot four or six foot five. He's a fullback, yeah, right? But he's got that, like a lot of people with the elites will have like one thing where they really stand out that makes them like unique in their abilities, right? Like, is, is it Andy Good? Would you say Andy Good's elite? Because he's not your traditional, like, sportsman, right? But he consistently performed at Premiership and international level to like a, a relatively good degree. So I would say his differentiator is his understanding of the game and his skill set. Yeah, I would say Andy Good is about as elite as they come, mate. Like, again, he's another one where because he was that good at like his kicking of the ball like i think at the time and probably still if you look back like that that was his main thing right he kicked the ball so well which then like made everything else easier because then he could read the game well and by the time you know he got into his like must have been late 30s or whatever when he was playing and he was like obscenely out of shape like because younger he wasn't all he wasn't always out of shape but as he got better at reading the game he was able to drop off physically but still maintain a high level of performance partly because of the position that he played and partly because of like how he played and everything but also because of the fact that 
his intelligence went all the way up, right? So that afforded him to go down. And you would say, oh, fucking hell, I'm in better shape than Andy Good. Yeah, but you're not a better rugby player. And like we can all say that, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Like, the guy, if anything, he became a better asset to the team. Like, the older he got. Yeah. Well, he saved a few teams from relegation, I believe. Yeah, the guy's like, a fucking stud. Now, again, there's something that, but, like, it's glaringly obvious with Andy Good. But it goes back to that Daniel Cormier point. Like, that doesn't mean that you should look at the elite, like the freak of Andy Good and how good he was as a rugby player and say, oh, okay, I'm a fly half, I'm aspiring. I should go get a beer belly. I should skip preseason and then, and then come in and play fly half and I'll be the best. Like, that's essentially what a lot of people are doing when they look at elite athletes and they say, okay, I'm going to do, like Daniel Cormier, I'm going I'm to do wall drills for speed before my fight like <laughs> it is nuts right yeah but that, that's just what it is and and these elite people i talked about johnny Payne earlier i was listening to him talk about he worked with he worked with tyson fury and did their strength and conditioning for i think it was the first deontay wilder fight and he, he like he was just a consultant because you know he knew like the one of the coaches knew him and said look let's, let's get this guy in he wasn't there for the camp because the camp was at big bear and so he laid out all of the strength and conditioning work that they should do and all, well, basically the conditioning work they should do to help him prepare. And like, he could, because he did his camp up in Big Bear, the main thing that he kept saying to them was, you should probably not be in Big Bear because you're going to, you're, you're, you're there only for, you know, six weeks or 10 weeks or however long the camp was. You're then going to come down back to sea level for at least a week or two weeks before you come. Any ad- any positive adaptation that you get from the altitude is probably going to be lost in that time. Um, for the most part, we've seen the science say that, like after I think it's like forty eight hours or something, it gets dropped. You're you've gone to mute again. The other thing is that you see from the, he was saying it was like your training isn't going to be as good as well because you're at altitude, you're not recovering as well, you're you're not going to be able to breathe as well. Like just you're not going to have as good a camp up in Big Bear, high altitude. Like it's just not going to be conducive to to having a better camp. But like he likes it. He's seen other people that do it, and fighters like people fighters love Big Bear. You know they they love training up in an altitude and making things seem hard. You see people training with an altitude mask because they think it's hard. Does that necessarily help their performance? Well, science is pretty clear that it doesn't, right? But still, you'll get elite athletes doing the same thing. And Tyson Fury, like, who's going to go and tell him that he's not doing everything right? Because he's literally the best in the world. Dude, the guy's got mad. He's in such a good boxer. Right? Yeah. He doesn't look like it. Yeah. He's a mad boxer. Yeah. And, and, like, that's a. Yeah. It goes back to skill work thing. You're going quiet again, mate. I can still whisper in my ear, but not in a good way. This is really annoying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think it comes back to this, the skill work thing. So with, yeah, no, I, hold on. Let's just, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Hit that link again because you're on a big delay and it's just, let me try this. But yeah, the point of that like story is that I think with you know Tyson Fury and and 
a lot of you see this more in fighters than you do with rugby players, but guys will go with their instincts, which sometimes can serve them well, but more often than not, like it actually doesn't work at all. So going by feel is like a seen as a good thing for these athletes, but like you know, if Andy Good went by Phil and had a big belly and still played really well, could he have been a better player if he'd have got himself in better shape? Part of you wants to say yes, right? Because, like, obviously, right? Obviously not having a beer belly and obviously being in shape would help you be a better player. But then that would also discount the massive psychology side of these things where, like you said, they do already, like, a lot of the elite mindset people, like, they're already doing a lot of, they're already making sacrifices. They're already doing things that are kind of outside the normal. So anything that, like, sort of takes away from that can potentially mess that up and help and actually have them play worse. Do we know that for a fact? Mm, it's hard to say, but you know, it's it, it basically means you know you you shouldn't necessarily rely on what these people are set, like these elite athletes are saying. They're the best players not because of these things that they're doing, but because they are the best, right? Yeah, just genetically better than us. Yeah, very frustrating, right? I'd live with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're all here. But so, but then on the flip side of things, right, another thing that elite athletes do, and a lot of them will do really well, and it is never always in like just one domain. And more often than not, it's like, this is what you'll see, is elite athletes will just shut up and put in the work. And they'll have someone else that like, even like the most elite powerlifters in the world, right? will offer programming to everyone else, but they still won't program themselves. The best the best teams in the world will have coaches, like obviously, right? But that means that they're having someone that they listen to, that they respect to guide them because they're not being emotional about their own decisions and their own choices. Head coaches, coaches in general exist for a reason because they have a different skill set and a different eye than what you as an athlete are, are having. And I think the best players like do nothing and the best athletes do nothing other than just listen to their coaches and try their best to do that. Um, There are a lot of, there are a lot of cases for that potentially like, you know, best, like really elite athletes, like, you know, your Cipriani's that might end up biting heads with coaches or Chris Ashton's, should we say that's, that's probably a more relevant one. He's had like seven clubs in like the last four years. But, <laughs> but the point is, is that, that they'll have coaches like tell them what they need and then go ahead and do that and they'll just put in the work. It's an interesting one Johnny May with speed development. He went away into something outside of this coaching structure. Right? Yeah. And yeah. You are, I think, I, I, yeah, I said that with what's his name? Mike Brown did that. Like, Mike Brown for the longest period of time was like the steady Eddie. And if anything, he was like a little bit too slow. And then all of a sudden he got fast and not just fast to like be okay, but fast to stand out. And he became like the best fullback in the world for like a couple of years, you know, because he outsourced it. And again, like, like if you go back to your, your realm and powerlifting, right? All these powerlifters, not all of them actually, but a good percentage of them know, they, un- they understand what's needed to be a better powerlifter at this point. Right, but they still 
have someone else take care of their training, even though it's really simple, they could do it themselves. But how many powerlifters in the world like coach themselves? At the world level, Marissa Linda, maybe, and even then, Chad does a programming, and that's about it. Well, so she's still got a coach, yeah. yeah. So, like something as simple as that, like they, ha you know, they still have a coach. When you've got all these different areas, like I think it's just having, like having a coach, having someone else tell you exactly what to do, and then you can just focus on doing it, is much better than trying to figure out what you've got to do. Obviously, with your own biases and, and blind spots that you're going to take, like miss out on that, and and probably that's another reason why these people do that. Now, I'm not say constant boring work, but they do real simple skill work over and over and over again because they're accountable, because someone else has told them that's what they've got to do, right? Yeah. What else can you think of stems from the elite athletes and potentially misguides us normal folk on what we should be doing to achieve those sort of levels? That's a good question. Two things. One is actually how hard they work, but in respect of recovery. Right, they a lot of the time they're just better at recovering, so they, they might be able to handle two sessions a day, they might be able to handle three sessions a day. Whereas your average person would just burn themselves out. That's one thing, mm -hmm. and the second thing is, I think, Pete, I think comparison here is is a thief of joy to coin choice, yeah. Right, when sub elite athletes or like normal athletes try and compare what they're doing to the truly elites. And it just fucking it just breaks your soul. Yeah, yeah, I I think so. Like I could reel off a load of different stories at this one, but like it's just you. Like <clears throat> I think you're a good example, really. Like to show how not of an elite athlete that you are. Like when you first started squatting, like seriously squatting, and and not doing the 200 kilos to like 30 degrees depth that you used to do when I was with you at uni. But when you started properly squatting and taking it seriously, what like what sort of weights were you messing around with? Seriously, because like maybe like one hundred and fifty to one hundred and seventy. Yeah, right. One hundred and fifty kilos, like something like that. Like when you were truly humble, hum, humbling yourself and like starting from the bottom, right? And that's still with a decent level of training in that, and yeah. with still a decent amount of genetics. There are going to be some people that will step into the gym and their first time ever will be able to squat 160 kilos or maybe their second time, right? Once they've got a bit of technique and they can squat more than that without ever trying. And you're really, really, really fucking strong, <laughs> you know, but there's, you know, but they've got like, like without even trying, like they can, they have a level that is just crazy that you wouldn't believe. And then that's why I think like the natty or not stuff comes out. Cause people are like, no way that person must be on steroids. But like, no, like, Freaks are just going to be freaks. Yeah, it's true, man. And it kills you. Yeah. I think the one that, like, the recovery one is also a really good point because it is, like, ge genetics isn't just muscle, strength, size, etc. Genetics is all of that stuff. Like, I think if you look at a lot of the top, I think rugby players will, will, will count in, in this because you know, the ones that survive are the ones that can get through a, a, like a lot of work in the course of a, of a week, right? So they'll not just survive, but they'll keep getting better and better and better and better. Like that's one of the reasons that like just thinking about it now, that's probably going to be the biggest factor in why I can progress higher and higher 
is because like when I would go to Poland camp after one week, I'd be like wrecked. And maybe that's because I'm not accommodated to that level, but it's also probably that's my genetics. Like I just can't get through as much training now as I'd like to. That's just, a, and that's just, that, that is what it is. There's nothing, there's no recovery thing that I can do that's going to help. I just have to slowly over years and years and years build up my tolerance, build up my fitness to be able to get better. Like when you're put in that environment, like you either just crash and burn and get injured or you slowly but surely and probably actually not slowly at all, like just rapidly get better until you're at a level where you're elite. Yeah. And I think that's, again, that's another, that's another thing with three freaks is just the amount of stuff that they can do. That's a, that's a, that's yeah, a great so shout. And if they're able to then do double the amount of work that you can do, they're going to not anyway, potentially, I guess, like progress at double that rate. And therefore, you know, when you gain, yeah, or fire, I mean, or slower, but even if it's not double your rate, you, know, you multiply that out over years and we're looking at marginal gains territory where that's just getting ridiculous at that point. And I think, yeah, yeah, recovery is a huge one. It's, it's hard to do that. But the other thing is, is also like ge genetics, like when we talk about genetics and recovery, it's also, and we also spoke about psychology, it's also temperament. Like you look at any of the top, I mean, bodybuilders is a good example because these people are like, that's all recovery. It's about building muscle as big as you can and yeah, taking a fucking ton of steroids. But all the top bodybuilders in the world are all chilled out. They're all ridiculously chilled out. Like Ronnie, look at Ronnie Coleman. Like, you know what I mean? Like have you ever seen him angry because i haven't you know like you've seen the video like he's just having a good time he's just chill jay cutler same thing i don't know any bodybuilders these days that was when i first started lifting those are the two dudes that are the only two that count robbie players as well right that a lot of them are like just chilled out blokes and they'll go for a coffee and they'll just chill out and they'll just relax and they've got like like joe marler like he's just funny He's not like I, I, I'm trying to think of anyone that like just seems really highly wound, like highly wound up. And Owen Farrell probably. <laughs> yeah, but but he's a diff he's he's almost like Andy Huge in the fact that he just reads the game so well. Like, he's just a great. Like, he's also he's also pretty big at this point. He's massive. Like he's in great shape. But also, I think you you read nothing about him away from the pitch, which suggests that he lives quite calm life away from it. You know, and like. That is like one of the biggest. Look at Marutoji. Like he's got his fingers into a few different pies, but he's also just a really chilled out bloke. And you can go on, and you can just like you see a lot of them, and you see these interviews. And there are some great ones, but then there are a lot of interviews with like top level rugby players where it's just boring stuff because they're just not up to much because they're just chill. And and like that's great because that's helping them recover from the sheer amount of training that they've got to do. The other thing on that side of things, as far as recovery goes, is that like that's that's kind of it that is really unseen from like us people that are living in the normal world compared to the elite athletes is the like w w when we're looking at their social media and we look like because that's probably our primary insight to these people we're looking at their top end work right we're looking at the, the a real curated even if it's like a longer video even if you watched an hour of their week right like i don't know or I guess, what, how long are these England documentaries? They're not even like 10 minutes long, right? Point being, is that you get a tiny snippet of the most intense stuff and the most entertaining stuff. 
there's so much time where it's just chilling out or doing that like boring skill work as we said or taking 20 minutes to do the warm-up thoroughly because they've got an issue with their whatever they've got to do like that stuff the the amount of unseen stuff is kind of really really underplayed it because of the social media world that we live in and we only see the you know the curated top part of, of, of what people do as far as like strength and conditioning particularly goes but getting better in general goes you know we only see the highlight reel we don't see anything else i'm gonna give you an example here man. so i got a, a lifter she's gonna squat the world record um, for her squat in the moment it's about 402 she's uh, she's she's elite so she'll, she'll break the world record in the last two weeks she hasn't squatted over 300 uh-huh work. yeah like that's that, that's what we see that you know, like she'll only go like 390, Yeah, and you don't see the scrum halves doing 100 passes every single morning off of each hand just to just to start their warm up for the handling stuff. Like, there's so much stuff that you don't see on social media, and I think, like. Because of, I mean, and that's that why what social media is is there to do. It's to show highlights and stuff. But you, if that's all you see, that's all you think there is. Like it's really unglamorous, you know. And yeah, strength work is a, a fantastic example, right? Getting strong is so simple, particularly for like to get into the percentage that you need to for rugby, like to to like improve your rugby performance. You don't need that much more work. And if you really need to complicate it. You're probably strong enough, and there's probably other areas that you need to develop in your game that would have a much bigger bang for your buck. I, I did that in a speed video. Same thing for speed, right? Like people love to do sleds, and people love to like like the, the entertaining stuff, especially on social media, is the stuff that gets more popular because it's entertaining, not because it's the best. You know, people want to do what like people like one of the most popular videos of Usain Bolt training is not anything to do with his sprinting drills or his, his block work or his all of the other stuff no it's his gym workout and guess what it was shit like it doesn't <laughs> that wasn't why he was really fast he was really fast because he was really fast like this is people and I, i've done this already and this is fresh in my mind because i've just done a video about the, the speed work that people think that they need to do if you're already in the gym and you've been in the gym three four times a week for a couple years but you've never strung together 10 weeks of just going to the field and sprinting going in the gym is not speed work there's nothing that like, that's not what you need that's not your solution to get faster your solution to get faster is go out and do sprint work like and then you look at even carlin isles right his his sprint he's still he hires a coach and he has people tell him what to do to get faster he also spends time working on his weaknesses and his passing like that is why he's there. Yes, he's a freak as, as far as speed, but he's still working on his speed and he's still working on all the other boring skills to help him be at that level. Like he puts in a lot of work on top of being a freak of speed. You got anything else, that, any other examples or notes on what like the elite people sort of mislead us as to how freakish they are? Yeah, one more. Like, we don't realize the shape of them as well. 
Yeah, I was going to say like, the actual sheer size. Yeah, can you remember the first time you stood next to a Russian rugby player? I, I can. I can. It was Richard Horton, yeah. who is really skinny, and he was a winger. And he's like, he was like not as good a winger as he could have been because he was so skinny. But he was rapid. But I remember looking at him again. Jesus Christ, that guy's massive. And yeah. and here's the thing, especially with rugby players, but lifters in general, like or, or just you know freaks in general, is because they're freakish. Perfect example is Harry Akins. Harry Akins Ariti, but he might just be Harry Akins at this point. Do you know who that is? He's a former Team GB sprinter, and I think he's like quite popular on social media these days. I don't follow him, but I heard this story about him. It must have been six years ago, maybe even longer at this point. Yeah, it would have been long. Yeah, it would have been longer. It would have been at least seven or eight years ago when he was in the Team GB. And this was from I've forgotten the name of the guy, but he was their nutritionist. And this guy was so like freakish genetically that he was too muscular to sprint. Like they'd done all the calculations not to sprint, to to be an elite, like top tier, 100 meters world final sprinter. He was too heavy, right? They'd done all the metrics and figured out like this guy's too heavy, probably should have played rugby earlier, but whatever, right? He was so so big, even that they had to cut him off lifting, right? Because they're saying, look, look, your, your, your lifting is putting on too much muscle, like you're gonna have to stop lifting because you're building too much muscle, which is slowing you down, like from this perspective, right? Normally, building muscle for sprinting is kind of a good thing, particularly for rub players, is kind of a good thing. This is a real specific pigeonhole example. He was then like just doing his sprint work, and because of his diet, because he was eating like a certain amount of protein, he was still gaining muscle just from the sprint work because he was that much of a freak. Um, in a good in a good way, you know, he never lifted but was still gaining muscle just from doing sprint work, they, that they had to really lower his, his protein intake to the point so that he could try and lose muscle so that he could get faster. This is what we're dealing with when we're dealing with freaks, right? You could also name any, like not any, but a, a large amount of Pacific Islanders that are naturally massive, that spend no time in the gym trying to get massive. They've then become professional rugby players. They don't have to do any of the hypertrophy work that like we have had to do to get to grow muscle. And they can then sp focus all of their work on all these other areas. And like, if anything, like you look at Manitou Alangi, like they carry too much muscle that sometimes all of their work in the gym is gonna be like prehab and rehab to, to try and prevent them from being injured. And even then, <laughs> it still doesn't work, right? Because some of them still just get massive. This does not mean that that's what we have to do. This just means that this is what the elite is, right? Like, potentially, a lot of us as rugby players don't even need to grow muscle. In fact, that would be suboptimal for us because, not necessarily because it's going to slow us down, but the amount of work that it would need to gain that muscle just is going to, like, is, is not as efficient as doing work in all of the other areas that we could train. And definitely that could be said for strength, right? Someone is out there who can squat 220 kilos and is still trying to add more to his squat, like as a as a casual tier six back row player. Like that's that's not that's that's not the the, the idea. In fact, those people like the amount of work that some take. It like the amount. Of, I don't know if I would ever be able to squat 220 kilos, right? 
like you're going to say yes and I'm going to say okay but the amount of work that I would have to put in to do that is going to take away from all the other areas that I want to focus like myself on and that would like I could do it right I really could but the 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 need for me to do that just is not there right I could then grapple against someone or or, or you know whatever competition against someone you know, play rugby against someone one-on-one -on -one, which it doesn't happen but for this example that's what we're going to do against someone that squats 240 kilos right that doesn't mean he's going to smash me that just means that he can squat that weight i can't that's it right and again that's just the way it is i remember when i was at glendale and i'm sort of we're sort of rambling here but this is this is a good way to finish the pod I remember I was at Glendale Raptors and Johnny Ryberg was there, who's now, fans of the MLR will know him as the winger. I think he was a top try scorer for a couple years in the MLR. He's known as the quadricep with, with eyeballs on, a, like that's what the commentators call him. He's the LA Guiltini's winger. Guy is a freak. I remember going into the gym and watching him. I think it was 220 kilos. It was at least 200 kilos. And he was just squatting it for sets of 10 reps, like it was nothing. And, right... So that that helped, like that was just his ability. He could already do that. He didn't have to work at it. And in fact, he wasn't really working at it. If anything, he was just maintaining the freakishness that he already had. If I was like the amount of work that I would have to put into to get to do that to my squat would not make me the rugby player he is. This it's just a showcase of the genetics that he has that makes him the rugby player that he is. And like that's that's what you got to understand when you're looking at elite athletes and what they're doing with their training in the gym with their bodies like it's just not the same the same rules to, don't apply to you or i or most average people or even like really decent genetic people like decently gifted people the same things just don't apply now does that necessarily mean that i couldn't have been as good a rugby player as it, he was or, or or you know that those sorts of questions and and i might encourage people that are listening to this to think this way no because there are still other areas that you can work on. There's still lots of things that you can do to improve. And I think you said already, comparison is the thief of joy. 100% when you're comparing yourself to other people because you don't know what they're doing. Like, there's no point. They're on their own path. You're on your own path. Comparison works really well when you compare yourself to yourself one year ago, three months ago, and look at what you've been trying to improve since then. And it, and it works both ways because if you compare yourself to one year ago, and you're not any better in any measurable way or you know you're not really sure maybe you've gone worse like that is a reason to kind of be like ah oh, fuck like you know i should be better than that right that, that's that you but that's good that's an alarm bell that needs to be rung to then wake you the fuck up to help you move forward and get actually get better i think a lot of people will will gladly compare themselves to others and just say, oh, they're on steroids, or oh, they're freaks, or or even like say, oh, I'm, I'm stronger than this guy, or whatever it is, right? But they won't compare themselves to themselves a few years ago. And it, and it goes both ways, right? You can compare yourself to someone else who's elite and be like, oh, fucking hell, I suck, I might as well just give up. And then you say, actually, hold on, you've gained 20 kilos on your deadlift this year. You've also lost body fat. You've got significantly better. Why are you, like, how dare you say that you're not doing anything? You do this three years in a row, maybe you're not coming you know, maybe you're not going to become a 0 0.1, 0 0.001 elite person, but you're going to be significantly fucking better, which will enjoy or help you enjoy your sport of rugby like that much better. Or if you're just a lifter, like you'll still enjoy that, and you, you like have got a good reward from the work that you put in. Yeah, for sure. 
I think, are we wrapping up now? Yeah, why not? But you can go on. Yeah, I was going to say, just because you're not super elite doesn't mean you can't be really good. Like, there's a reason I was saying, like, you can only polish your toes so much. You can still make it really shiny. Like, you can, have you seen varnish? You can get your kangaroo. Mate. No, I haven't seen varnish. Why would I have seen varnished shits? Don't, don't. I thought you were going to reach and grab a varnished shit then and show it to the camera. No, I mean, it's not really my thing, but like, so there's a. Sounded like you were prepared. Yeah, that's the whole point of this podcast. Is <laughs> you brought it up pretty early, you know, I uh, thought, oh, okay. Yeah, it's foreshadowing. <laughs> no. um, there's a surf brand called Kangaroo Poop, okay? And um, basically, they released polished pink tips. It's like a, 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 a marketing tip. But the point is, this thing is a fair people might not ever be super. You can still be really fucking good. There's plenty of people in like the top two, three hundred in the world who maybe don't have the best six, but they make up for it in a voice. Right? Like, there's plenty of people who, who like. Like, like me and you, like we're we're like relatively good at what we do, right? But we're never going to be the top ten. But we're still better than almost everyone, right? I was going to say I was encouraging people to. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Take, uh, yeah. So yeah, so yeah like you cannot get to the zero point zero zero one percent, right? But especially for rugby. Right, you don't need to be the zero point zero zero one percent in in any any realm. Right, the the point of rugby is that you have to be kind of just good enough at a lot of different levels. Have you seen the YouTuber Mark? I don't even know Mark Lewis. He's like a ultra runner and a like a, but he's like six five and his whole thing is like being above average. But he runs a twenty. He he, he runs a, a, a twenty sub twenty five k. He runs five k in like. I think it was like 18 minutes or something and he's like 50 and it's like just goes to show that like you don't have to be and and like that's still great but he's still like not even in the top i'd say 20 percent of maybe he's in the top sorry he's in the top 20 percent. he's easily in the top 20 percent, right but he's not he's not like when he, if he goes to a real popular race like that's not even close to like elite runners times you know and that's okay right? that's that's fine I think he did a video even like, and he tried to run 100 meters. First, he tried to run one lap at Mo Farah's 5K, have even been 10 world record. He couldn't even do, or he could just about do 100 meters. And like, he's not slow. It's just that like the top level is that is that top level. It's kind of like Carlin Isles. Like if you're a winger, like you sh- you don't need to be as fast as Carlin Isles to be like that great. You just need to be fast enough. Like you need to be competent enough, and you can be really good in other areas. I mean, isn't the wingers the one the fastest player in the team? Yeah. Look at the blue one now. Bowden Barrett's fucking rapid. Um, Iwani Brothers, they're incredibly fast. Yeah. Right. Um, there's Milner Scudder who I was talking about before. He's one of the ball of Barrett. He was in the fastest time. Well, damn, his strike rate was high. Yeah, but. What's your point there? Is it being faster? Is that important? I'm saying if you're a winger and you're not the fastest person in the team, it's okay. Yeah. Or if you're a prop and you're not the strongest person in the team, it's also okay. Yeah. For sure. Like, 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 yeah. We're looking at like when you're looking, especially rugby is one of the best sports for this. 
is that you like you 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 are almost not necessarily punished, but there is no need for you to be elite in any area. Like like you you there is there is a you know realm saying that your eliteness or whatever you is that you is your differentiator definitely still work on that and make yourself like that better. But there's also so many weak points that you can bring up to make your game better and your rugby playing experience overall like so much better, right? Yeah, definitely. Trying to look at the positive, not a us like smashing on people because they're not elite. Right, but you know the point is is that like if anything, it's kind of liberating. It's liberating to that you've just got to work on your own journey. If you just gain, you know, extra little bit here and then a little bit here, like you round that out and you keep you keep adding, 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 like year over year over year. And that's the cool thing about rugby. It's not. It's not just adding strength. You're not just focused on, you know, all of this one year work to add five helos to one lift that's going to make all the difference. You've got all these different areas that you can work on that like, you know, you're not elite in any of them, but, and this is, this is kind of my thing. I think is that what I try and do is like, no, I don't squat more than anyone in it. Like I'm not the strongest squatter in the gym. Should I say, nor am I the strongest deadlifter might be the strongest bencher, but I'm also out there running 10k faster than anyone that can squat more than me and most that can squat less than me like i can also do that and then if i go and do a 10k race yeah i'm like there's like literally hundreds of people finishing ahead of me but i can squat more than most of them you know and like just being good enough in a few different areas it's it's cool it's massively advantageous for rugby but it's also just cool for life like that's what being a human is about that's why we're good that's why humans are dominant what do you think? Yeah. Boom. Yeah. All right, mate. Yeah. All right. You you generally share like we've spoken about how being elite isn't what you should be looking for on social media, but a lot of stuff that you share on social media is like the top fucking ridiculous percentage of uh, of powerlifters and stuff. Where can where can people follow your Instagram and and see this stuff? Yeah, I'm super lucky that I get to work with level guys and girls so best place to find me is kabuki virtual coaching yeah on instagram or coach alex kabuki i think on instagram <laughs> i'll put it in the link below yeah i think what's also good that what you share is like you share both ends of the spectrum as far as like you've got some real elite athletes there and you've got some real basic principles that not a lot of people stick to that you share that like still works for them. Like just because a lot of elite people do stupid stuff doesn't mean that you have, you should like they, they benefit from that. If they just do simple stuff, like all of a sudden they're still, you know, they're still being freakishly strong and they're actually like adapting better. The other thing is that you do share some insight to real unique, like, like you said, like periods of specialization, like different, like, I don't want to say advanced techniques because that's that that can get really misconstrued, but you use special tactics with them that you wouldn't need to use with people that aren't lifting the amount of weights that they're lifting, that pays also pays dividends and that aren't trying to get the, you know, it's not it's there's a different you know rather than polish the turd they're trying to polish that one little corner of the car that isn't quite polished perfectly and so that requires its own di- different strategy. I think you share that quite interestingly. Thank you. All right. 
Good, mate. Let's wrap this up. Thank you so much for watching this podcast. If you enjoyed it, again, and you haven't left a comment, what are you doing? Leave a comment, even if it's just for the algorithm. Let us know what freaks you've seen in your rugby career or in your lifting career. Or let us know if you think Alex should shave that beard because, oh man, it's becoming a bit of a mess. Your girlfriend's coming into town very, very soon. Is she in town already? She's getting in town tomorrow. It's going to be too late now, mate. You got. I mean, they're going to comment that you should have shaved. Hopefully, by now, you, you have taken a shave. By the time they watch this, you have shaved. You look much better. It's all good. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Five stars on any of the podcast platforms or just a thumbs up. And I'll see you guys in the next one.